management guests. And um, Vicky, if you could take the role, please. Yes. Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Charlin? Here. Trustee Lawrence? Here. Trustee Thompson? Here. We have a quorum. Wonderful. Thank you. Any public comments, requests for public comments? No, we do not. All right. So let's move on. And I apologize that we ran over our previous meeting. So hopefully we'll be efficient and quick through this one. So let's uh, tackle tab one, which is approval of minutes for um, the minutes of the February 9th meeting. Do I have a second? Second. All in favor? Aye. Any Aye. abstentions or nays? Okay. So moved, and then um, let's move on to our tab two, and I'm really glad to welcome Ben Mack, um, and please um, tell me your name again. Liz Lanier. Liz Lanier. Um, we've been, uh, we've met uh, them before, but you are new to some of our, our you'll see a new audit committee this time, so we do have two new members, and so this is a um, good time for uh, us to get an update as you know, Moss Adams does our, <coughs> will be doing our audit, not just for the uh, AHS, but also for the Alameda Health System Foundation and for AHP as well. So today we get uh, just a brief overview of what the process will be like, what will be the key areas of emphasis, what will be the timelines. So without further ado, I'm gonna turn it over to Ben. All right, well, thank, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for having us. Uh, we have a presentation here. If you can move the mic closer, it works better. Great. Uh, thank you very much for having us. Uh, we have a presentation here. Uh, if anybody else in the room would want one, uh, there's a stack of print-ups up there on that table, too. Um, I'm Ben Mack. Uh, I'm the engagement partner. I'm a partner here with Moss Adams in our healthcare practice out of the San Francisco office. Uh, this is Liz Lanier. Uh, thought I would introduce you to her. She was manager last year, this year, uh, a manager in our healthcare services practice, uh, also out of the San Francisco office, uh, is, is a little bit a little bit more knee-deep in some of the work sometimes, so I thought I would bring her along. Uh, and uh, we, will, we will just get started here. Uh, I'll talk about our agenda, uh, just at the agenda tab. You can kind of see what we're going to talk about, but, and I will move along. Service team. So... Uh, I am the engagement reviewer. Uh, assign your uh, your audits. Uh, Ryan Connor is the concurring reviewer. You've met him here before. Uh, all this team is really the. This is the exact same team as last year. Uh, and again, you're getting to meet uh, Liz Lanier here, the audit manager, who is, uh, actually does a whole lot of work on on on, uh, on all three audits. And. We have a consistent team with the only kind of caveat being on the foundation, we use Liz Dollar as more of a specialty reviewer on that one. Uh, so it's important to you to confirm our independence to you. Uh, we believe we're independent. Uh, we've considered any threats to our independence. We don't believe we have any. So you know, things we do for you, attest services, so the, the aforementioned three audits, uh, we prepare 990s, those are attest services that are clearly permitted services. Uh, we're also assisting with improvement to the Medicare wage index, which I think is clearly a, an okay thing to be doing. Uh, and we, we don't, uh, we do not have any concerns about our independence to communicate to you. So our audit objectives, what are we gonna do? 
we're, we, you, we've been asked to opine as to whether your financial statements are free from material misstatement uh, and in accordance uh, with, with uh, generally accepted accounting principles. That, that's really the mission. Can we make an opinion on the financial statements? Um, I would say our other objective is, is to try to get to that point in an effective way that is, that, that, that is reason, reasonable on your team uh, and where we're really getting, we're really auditing the risks uh, and we're, we're hitting the risk areas is, is a big objective. Um, and so a, a really the meat of this presentation is for us to talk to you about, hey, here's what we think are the risk areas and for you to communicate back, you know, hey, I would have thought this thing was on the list and, and we'll get to that. Um, but I think it's important to say, you know, that being our objective to find material misstatements, you know, we're, we're auditing the risk areas. Um, the next slide just talks about our uh, auditor's responsibility in a financial statement audit. Um, you can read all that. Um, you know, I would kind of say a highlight there is, is, you know, we're looking to get reasonable assurance that your statements are free from material misstatement. That's, that's really the objective here. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Liz. What, let me just pause there. Any questions about anything I've been through so far? All right, I'm going to turn it over to Liz to talk about areas of audit emphasis. I have a, the term misstatement versus error. What's the difference? In terms of misstatement, it doesn't really matter if it was caused by an error and an attention. Misstatement maybe is a little bit broader. So you're looking to see that it's free from material misstatement, um, whether it was caused by an error. But an error might be there was a spreadsheet and there was a formula error and it just didn't add up right, right? Um, you, you might say that if you described your pension plan incorrectly, in a sense that's an error, but maybe it's a little bit easier to call it a misstatement. If you, if you follow me, they're they're pretty close cousins, but I think misstatement might be a bit might be a bit broader because it's not it's not really getting at it's not really getting at why. Does that answer that question? It certainly helps. I hadn't heard this that term before, so yeah. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's, if thank something's you. wrong, it's misstated. If something is an error, you're almost speaking to well. There was an error in the process. Like alternative that, facts and yeah, facts. And yeah. Right. Well, I'll leave that alone. But, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay, great. I'll just take us through our areas of audit emphasis. Can you guys all hear me well enough? There you go. Okay. Yeah. So we'll be taking a look at um, specifically the valuation of your patient accounts receivable and your related net patient service revenues. The receivables and payables basically are transactions that you have back and forth with the county. Other government program receivables um, and related revenue streams from those receivables. So all of those supplemental revenues that you guys are recording at the health system where you look at um, the accruals as well as the revenues for those. Maybe a good example of that would be, a good example of that would be like the prime program. Yeah, we've been talking to your team a lot about looking at the approximately 100 benchmarks that are kind of set to hit revenue, to, to be able to collect revenue and hence record revenue in the prime program. So, yeah, that's, 
off the top of my head. I mean, it's a lot of revenue. Almost, I think, almost hundred million dollars in revenue. It's a lot of revenue, and so you know that would be an area to where an estimate would really drive a lot of revenue recognition, um, and we would want to see that that was reasonably stated. Uh, we will also be focusing on your third-party settlements. Um, we know your cost reports estimates and if those are reasonable taking a look at your self-insured portion of your insured reserves um, for the IBNR to make sure that that is fairly stated also looking at the ASERA pension plan Sarah and your other retirement plans that you have what are third-party settlements give examples of those uh, Medicare Medi-Cal cost reports okay. being the biggie so we have our specialist look at essentially at what your specialist does. Uh, yeah, it's probably almost a week worth of work peeling through that stuff and saying, are these estimates reasonably built up? Are the inputs that go into this reasonable? Um, and you know, kind of, to a certain extent, forming our own our own opinion about where they think they're going to end up, and then kind of matching that up, asking questions. Um, those are. That's probably some of the most difficult to estimate uh, things on your financial statements is those third-party receivables. You know, they, they can take years to settle out, and it's really difficult to know how, how CMS is going to settle out on them. Um, very, you know, very difficult judgments to make. So we, we consider that to really be a high-risk area. So. Maybe I'll steal the thunder of the next slide a little bit. The next slide is going to say risk discussion. And these two are kind of back to back for a reason. That is, is we kind of lay these out as what we see as the most key risks. We're not saying everything else isn't important, but these are probably the most, frankly, if you had to say, what's the most likely thing to be materially wrong? This is the list that we pick and we we'd most emphasize these in our audits. Yeah, we're going to confirm cash, we're going to look at accounts payable, we're going to do those those sort of things. Um, but we'd see these as the key risks. Are there other risk items that are on your mind that you'd want to communicate to us that you'd say, um, uh, you know, this is something that we think you might want to consider as you plan your audit? and things is IT penetration or any of that like you know exposure or that something that you know like the kind of malware and things that happen like with that that's a financial risk that might happen but how does that I don't you know that's a great question so there's a lot of business risk there and there's a lot of reputational risk mm -hmm. that you know, and, and dollar risk, you know, if someone steals a lot of patient data and puts it out there and someone says that you were, um, uh, you know, a little fast and loose with it, you can get you can get sued by the claim, uh, or not sued, but you can get fined by the claim. From a financial statement standpoint, let's say you've got that sort of situation. You'd say, you know, is our exposure material should we have an accrual for this? If, let's say it happened before year-end, but obviously you're issuing your statements after year-end. Um, you'd say, should management would say, should we have an accrual for this? Should we have a specific disclosure for this? And what should that be? And we'd audit that assertion. So 
a little bit from a financial statement standpoint, we're looking backwards to the period that's already happened and saying, and with things like penetration, for the most part, if you don't know about it two or three months after year end, it, it, it probably didn't happen. So, you know, we try to find out through those things through inquiry of legal counsel, inquiry of management, reading your board minutes. Um, and if there were a big event, we'd say, you know, should there be an accrual for it? Um, my head is in the wrong space. We, oh, we've had a lot of good penetration tests and we've done well. So we have a general sense of that, but I was also thinking some of the recommendations that you give with some thinking a little ahead to moving forward that whenever you give your report. And, and we do some do some work around IT controls as part of our general audit. And if we see things, we have, and we, we did bring some of those up last year. Um, you know, pen testing would be a little bit outside of the scope of our audit because you, you wouldn't book an accrual for a penetration event that might happen in the future. That would be a little bit too, that wouldn't really be gap. So, um, a great question. Any other questions or thoughts? Yeah, Medicare fraud and abuse, and is that covered at all? You know, that, that that's something that, again, similar to where you, you book an accrual for it when you, when you know about it. You know, you probably the point where you have a self-disclosure uh, to, to, to CMS is the point then where you start to say, should we accrue? Those are extremely difficult because, you know, they always come in saying, you know, we're going to get you for $10 million and then five years later you settle for $108,000 is how an awful lot of those things go. And so it makes that kind of accrual phase really tricky. Uh, uh, with the law firms that you hired generally don't want to talk about that a whole lot. We've, when we've worked with a lot of those and we've been, been down that road many times. Um, those, are, those are difficult estimates when those come up. Um, but, you know, we've looked at management and your legal team and your lawyers first to kind of assess that. Um, you wouldn't book an unknown. You know, you wouldn't book an accrual for the bad stuff that might happen. And not so much for the booking of the accrual, but testing. Is there any testing that, that you do or look at to see what sorts of uh, methods we have in place to do testing on claims? Yeah, is it ripe for fraud? We're, we're not, so we, we do do testing in your revenue system to see that things are properly recorded, that they're in the right payer class, um, things like that, but but this is not a compliance mm. audit. You know, we're, we're not looking to opine whether or not you're in compliance with HIPAA or CMS regs or whatnot. Right. We're looking to see, to be honest, if you've got an issue, do you have it properly recorded? Um, so no, we're we're not we're not specifically looking for those items. If we stumble upon something in our testing, we we'd let you know, but we're not specifically looking for that. Right. Um, slide eight, we were just going to mention, you know, there's a significant new accounting pronouncement next year. So a few years ago, you adopted a standard where you brought your pension liabilities all onto your books, essentially. Uh, the same thing will happen next year as it relates to other post-employment benefits. 
we're currently working with management in terms of identifying those plans and and uh, uh, then they'll, they'll, they'll get actual reports and start to figure out what those liabilities are. Some of that will be through ACERA, there may be other plans too. Okay. Uh, our timeline. So we did interim procedures on site during the weeks of April 17th and 24th. Um, we've already largely completed our interim work. Uh, we're following back up on, on a few things. Uh, uh, we obviously we're doing our planning presentation right now. Uh, single audit field work and we, we delineate here single audit a little bit because as part of your audit there is some compliance work that relates to how you spend federal funds and that's called single audit. And the government considers your whole financial statement audit to be but a, but a mere footnote to the single audit. In reality, the financial statement audit is a lot more work than the single audit, but we do them as one, as, as one engagement in, in the viewpoint of, of uh, the government. They're all kind of one, um, you know, they're, they're stapled together and they're one deal. In reality, you kind of, you issue two versions and almost everyone just looks at the financial statements by themselves. We do the single audit testing during the week of the 7th. Uh, for what it's worth, we threw on here kind of health partners and foundation and then system audit. Uh, at management's request, we're doing system audit field work a little bit later this year. We think that'll work out. Um, our adjusting entries, we're looking to have those finalized by the 30th and um, present <coughs> to you on November 2nd. Any questions about What's this What's the field work? What is the audit field work? What, what does that entail? It means that we have a team of people come out from our office and um, we ask for a large volume of data, um, some and information. Um, a lot of it we will ask questions to your staff from. Uh, we ask for a, a lot of source documents. Um, and generally speaking, especially for an audit this large, <coughs> You do it on site, so you can walk over to someone's desk and say, "Tell me about what you were thinking when you, when you, when you did this. What, did, what does this mean?" And when I ask that question, does that mean that you go to the various um, facilities that are in our system and do that kind of field work at, at those desks, or most of most of the work is done at the facility that's across the street from the Oakland Coliseum? Um, but we do do some things that get us out to the various healthcare facilities also, though, though not a whole lot. But there will there will be procedures. Yeah, we go out to Fairmont every year and talk to the revenue, revenue cycle people out there when we do our revenue <coughs> controls testing. And uh, It's two weeks of having every decision you've made for the last year question. And, and documents pulled. Uh, and same thing in banking. We have auditors have come. <coughs> but it's how you get to the story by looking source documents. One thing that we're trying to do is have a lot of conversations now about key risk items and for what we can, kind of starting those communications, you know, uh, talking to Ann <coughs> a lot, you know, at least once a month and, and, and being ready for that process to really happen in an orderly fashion. Other questions? 
the, the audit committee meeting that we have on November 2nd, usually we haven't had it as an executive committee where the external auditor meets just the board and uh, things. So we, we do it in a, in a session like this um, with, you know, the executive leadership staff, all of the relevant staff. Have you done it where, you know, because you're doing some of the other financial statements and things as well, where you are meeting with the board alone? <coughs> You know, it'll go both ways. Um, I, we, we have clients where we meet with the board. Generally speaking, one reason why audit committees were created, I think, is because there were, you, you wanted to have a smaller group, perhaps with some specialized skills, be able to devote a lot of time to, uh, you know, primarily internal and external audit activities. Um, you know, at, at SEC registrants, uh, audit committees will approve statements, and it's just it's just done. Um, so we'll have we'll, we'll work with with hospitals to where it's just the audit committee that we communicate with, and, and that's there, there's nothing wrong with that. We'll work with some to where they don't have an audit committee, and maybe it's just a board, or maybe it's a finance. Um, we have some where we might come mm -hmm. in, we might do the 45-minute the version at year-end with the audit committee, and then we might do the 12-minute version with the board. Mm -hmm. um, th that's really up to you as an organization. And we're, we're happy to do whatever whatever you'd like. Um, but there's certainly nothing, I would I would say there's nothing inherently wrong about, about working with an audit committee mm -hmm. to do this. This is why the AICPA thought audit committees were a good idea. No more questions for me. I, I just have one. What, what is a typical, what's a reasonable variance in terms of uh, uh, trying to... Misstatements? It, what makes yeah, misstatements, mi material misstatements. You know, I, I'm thinking from, you know, we're mm -hmm. going through a board process, I mean a budget process, and so what, what would be a, a reasonable variance? That's a that's a fantastic question. Let's uh, let's talk about that. So, it would there there are a couple of ways of looking at this. If if I'm you guys, and I find out that my CFO has stolen seventy five thousand dollars from me, I'm furious, and I would never want anyone to explain to me why that wasn't material to me, right? So, there's there's material for quality qualitative matters. That ethical matters. Or just, yeah, ethical could be one of them, but some of it could be, um, geez, someone stole our sign out front and we're just furious. Uh, and, you know, it might not be material to the, so you care. A lot of people equate kind of materiality with you You care. How, what, what, do you, what level do you care about it? From a financial statement standpoint, you're really trying to think about the users of the financial statements. I think, I think in this case, you're talking about funding decisions, future operating decisions, strategic decisions. Uh, you know, maybe in the future discussions with banks. Um, I think in the healthcare world, the gold standard on that is probably one to three percent of revenues. Um, you know, what the error is matters. You know, I'll give you an example. Yeah, right. Let's say you had 
let's say you had a possible HIPAA violation that could be, it could have been a $12 million deal and you didn't disclose it and it turned out to be not a big deal. But at the time you thought it might go $12 million, which is, you know, getting to be a, getting to be a good sized number, but you say, well, you know, quali qualitatively, it could have been there, could have not been there. It was a disclosure. It was really you were never you were never going to book it based on what you knew because it happened after year end. Maybe it's a subsequent event. I think a lot of people would say, okay, qualitatively not material. Maybe on the other end of the spectrum, you say, um, you know, if it's just a, a a revenue that that should have been booked and it would have gone right to your income, maybe maybe that is a little bit more sensitive. Um, but to kind of dollarize it for you guys, you know, one to one to two, I, I'd probably gravitate more to one per, to two percent of revenues, uh, being the point at which you'd say, hey, we would have, if we would have known that we made ten, fifteen million dollars less last year, we would have thought differently about the organization, um, and that's probably the sort of when we really would start to look back and say we really feel differently about this, um, you know, some of it makes a difference too. What was your bottom line? You know, if, you, if your bottom line was nine million dollars, then a ten million dollar loss that would have taken you to a loss kind of feels bigger. If you made, if you had a seventy-five million dollar bottom line, that nine million dollars doesn't feel quite quite so big. So those are. Those are the sort of guideposts that one uses for to say material error in a financial statement. And, and you make that determination of materiality. So we make a we make a materiality determination to help us plan the audit. But then that doesn't mean that we don't test anything beneath that or look anything beneath that. Probably the main thing it means is if we got to the next year and we had an error that was over that dollar value, not a change in an estimate, but an error, um, that would probably concern us. Uh, if, if we had a disagreement with management about an accounting item and they didn't want to record it and it went over that, we'd consider whether or not we actually wanted to sign the engagement, right? Now, we communicate to you guys known errors that are greater than 5% of materiality. That starts to feel like materiality to management. Like, it, so if we say, if, if, we, if you say materiality is 10 million bucks, then that means if you just use five, I'm gonna use round numbers here to make the math a bit easier. If 5% if of that is significant, that means you're tracking every error over a half a million dollars, right? And, and that would mean that we'd be communicating to you every known error that wasn't recorded or was recorded over a half of over a half a million dollars. So that's kind of how you use materiality as this sort of like kind of un kind of where you start to say qualitative factors fade away and it just the total number can't be bigger than that. And then you audit at a percentage of that, um, you know, depending on the area, maybe five percent, three percent. And then you might do sampling where you're looking at tons of teeny little I bills. I think what I was getting at is, as a, as a trustee looking at the final report, 
one of the things that Rick has done for us that helped me immensely is initially he had all these things down and we forced him to give it a ranking, a one, two, or a three, because then we knew from, from our auditor's perspective that yes, this is out of compliance or this is a concern, but it's, it's a three on the, the ones were the more important and this was Kind of a risk rating. Yeah, of it was items. kind of it was something like that. So that's really why I was asking the question that do you when you come forward with your final report, uh, how I'm trying to get in your head as the the professional, how you see these things, uh, these misstatements, are they? Not, not to worry, it's a misstatement, it can be corrected, it was corrected, uh, versus you guys need to really pay attention to this item. So, now I follow you. So, there, there are sorry, a number of ways, clear. so you, most people end up with a clean audit opinion, which says, you know, in our opinion, the financial statements are free from material misstatement, blah, blah, blah. And every, okay. Every CPA in the United States writes a virtually identical audit opinion, with the only difference being is it all in one paragraph or is the same words broken into three. Um, but you can get there a lot of different ways. We could come in and we could find 55 errors. We could recommend that you correct the 55 errors. We could have 47 material weaknesses. You could correct them all, and then we could give you a clean opinion. Or we could come in and we could not have any errors that we have to correct, and you get to the exact same opinion. And under AICPA standards, it, it's it's not like um, uh, it, it isn't like the internal audit standards where you kind of do a, a qualitative rating. But I think the way that you qualitative rate that we, we I know we talked to you about this last year at year end is is how many audit adjustments did you have, or how many past adjustments did you have? And what are they? You know, are they are they kind of gotcha items where we happen to find one really weird late invoice that no one gave to accounting, but we asked for it three months later and it came in and you say, okay, you know, we didn't get this furniture invoice, right? Or do you say, uh, um, you know, gosh, we had a $22 million shift in, in AR, right? Uh, I, I think that I think that on a, on a scoring level, if I'm you, I, I, I am to a certain extent looking at the number of either audit adjustments or past adjustments with a pretty great deal of interest. I yeah, I can't recall. We did, we either had not many or no audit adjustments here last year. I'm pretty sure it was zero. I think I think we had zero. <laughs> and I, and I, I hesitate to. <clears throat> That there was yeah. one at the foundation that was very grudging, grudgingly given. Yeah, so pretty minor, so we didn't we didn't propose that any changes be made, and um, when you think about the fact that we're starting off with materiality, you know, uh, you know, let's say uh, materiality, and I'm just using again one percent, whatever. If you, if you said it was something like ten million dollars, and then you're going to accumulate everything at five percent of that. You know, you can, you can get to a half a million dollar error pretty quickly in a lot of these accounts. And some of them are judgments, so you can say is it a reasonable range. But the fact that we're not, if I'm you guys, I'm looking for 
hey, is there a big long list of adjustments to get here or are, are there not? Um, you know, one thing we try to do is be in communication with management and if they've got questions, talk to them about how they book it and they just book it right during the year and then and you just see the right numbers right. all year long. That's we want David want. to get a big head here. You know, um, we need to find something <laughs> that... Uh, I, I think in all seriousness, what we want to see is a lot of communication mm -hmm. on things like government mm -hmm. programs about, hey, here's what we're intending to do. Here's what we're thinking. Uh, you know, we're, we're currently dialoguing on AR. Here's what we're seeing. Um, and, uh, you know, having a lot of that dialogue is, is, is really some of the best part of this process. So we communicate to you what audit adjustments, either whether they book it or not, we communicate with you audit adjustments. And it's either a pass adjustment, like we passed and we didn't do it, or it's an audit adjustment, like it got booked. And I, I think that's kind of the, that's where the scoring is here that you're wondering about. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. No, that's very helpful. Other questions? Um, all right, we talked the last slide, audit deliverables. Uh, so we're gonna give you our audit report. We'll give you a report to to those charged with governance, uh, which does say, you know, hey, if we had significant difficulties, uh, that sort of thing, we communicate that to you. And then an internal control letter. Um, we also communicate to management kind of an informal list of things that we don't think are material weaknesses uh, or significant deficiencies but might help them operationally. Um, that someone who has a single audit, we generally don't publish that um, just because the government will take that list and really say, how do you know none of these? They'll, they make a not fun project out of it from a single audit standpoint. Um, so when we have operational items, we'll go through those with management. Is the scope of your audit the same every year? No, we we change a few. We no, we go through every year and we look to see how's your business changed, uh, have programs changed, um, have um, what did we find last year? You know if. if if something was sticky last year, um, we might look to see how good, we look back at key estimates. And, you know, if you look at something three years ago and the method's working, I think in year four you feel better than you did in year one. Um, we also do specific tests for fraud every year that we don't communicate to management until we do them because we don't want them to know what we're doing. Those are inherently different every year and we rotate those. We also kind of jump around and we'll, we'll, we'll be a little bit haphazard in how we test controls just so that we hit, hit different stuff and ask different questions. Um, we do, we'll, we'll do fraud interviews with different people every year. Some of them are kind of written in stone. So like we'll, we'll do these guys every year, but we'll, we'll do a few haphazard interviews every year. Um, uh, but, but some things stay the same. I, I would always want to liquidate AR. I just can't imagine why I wouldn't want to know that. Um, so does that kind of answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. And who approves the scope of the audit? That would be me. But some of that, we're kind of communicating that to you here with, in terms of thinking about key risks. So 
when you guys talked about risk rating, we risk rate every line item on your balance sheet. <coughs> and we risk rate them one to five. And both from a firm audit methodology, our firm audit guide, and from a, uh, really from an AICPA sense, I think is where those principles are kind of built out of. We'll do a lot more testing in areas that we, that we think are gonna be more likely to be wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and also things that are judgmental. I mean, I'll give you an example. So let's say you have a CD account. Well, there's no ins and outs and the confirmation and the statement agree to the balance at the year end. To some extent, you say, how much do I really care about the controls looking at it every month? I mean, hey, the, the number is either right or it's not, right? It's not very judgmental. On the other end, you might have things like third party where you say, hey, it's really important that this is being monitored because it is so judgmental and we're gonna look at controls. So that's part of kind of designing the audit plan. Unlike the scope, you said the GASP is a new thing that you're doing this year, right? So that's that's how the scope shapes so we We would change scope for, for new GASB standards. Um, probably the only, yeah, you know, and th there are new GASB standards that we've talked about that, that don't apply this year. So we're not going to take you through those. We uh, manage the performance or review the performance of the health system based on EBITDA. EBITDA is not a gap inherent. A measurement because it can be anyway. You know, I don't need to tell you why. Are we reviewing the performance as trustees of this health system accurately by our definition of EBITDA? So, and if not, what would you have us? So, in, in three minutes or less, the Financial Accounting <laughs> Standards Board, for instance, does not specifically endorse EBITDA, but you can sure take the financial statements made in that manner, and if you've got one minute you can get to EBITDA, right? So it's basically saying, hey, backing out um, interest expense, depreciation, taxes, maybe a mm -hmm. few other things, right? And it's kind of getting you to a cash flow. I think really nerdy accounting people say, well, that's what the cash flow statement is for. Uh, it sure seems like EBITDA is popular out there in the real world and that, yeah. that tells yeah. you a lot. Uh, I would say, your audited financial statements give you really good information to base an EBITDA calculation on, and it's a it's a governance decision what you <coughs> what you want your your metrics to be. Mm -hmm. um, and and a lot of people look at a lot of people look at EBITDA, but you know people look at things too, like hey, what what either is my would my bond rating be if I had a bond rating or. Uh, you know, there, there's other measures, you know, like cash flow. Mm -hmm. uh, health systems care a lot about cash. Um, uh, they burn through a lot of it. There, there's, a, there's a lot of qualitative measures there that that <coughs> a lot. Thank you. Okay. There's no thank questions. You. Thank you, Liz, and thank you. Thanks, thank you, thank you for having us. Look forward thank to seeing you. you, you uh, Liz, did he take you to dinner? You deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have some smothered chicken you're welcome to take home with you. <laughs> really desperate. Okay, moving on. Um, <clears throat> let's move on to our next. Um, <coughs> I apologize for leaving. I believe that would be me. Yes. Well, I apologize that I have to leave, but I've got a flight to catch. Oh, have a great Good night, Gary. Gary. Nice. 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 Nice.
Send, send me a picture. Send me a text. I'll send lots of pictures. Yeah, send me a little picture. With a martini. With a martini in your hand. Okay. Well, this is on the record. Was it something I said? <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> I told you to keep it short, but oh no. <laughs> okay, uh, so we're on page 26 of the package, uh, which would be the risk assessment. And it looks like the Consumer Reports Auto Buying Guide. <laughs> yes. I, re I, re I really like it, you know? Do we get a Lexus or a Buick? So I, I tried to put a little <laughs> splash of color in to, to help inform everybody. Uh, so it's a little bit different than last year because I've tried to organize it uh, functional area within strategic business unit. Mm -hmm. uh, so we didn't have it uh, that way last year. and. Uh, I'm still struggling a little bit with identifying exactly what all the components of each uh, SVU currently is, but at least this gives me a start uh, and will be refined over time. And I, I did, it's a lot like what Ben was talking about in you do the risk ranking, uh, you try to see what's material, you uh, identify what you're going to audit for the year. So. I was looking at it from the standpoint, if you look at the right-hand column, what's the likelihood of problems within this area, uh, high, medium, or low, uh, which is represented by the little dots there. What's the financial risk and what's the compliance risk and then coming up with a departmental average and then trying to make sure that I had some type of project that would cover the high-ranking areas. Okay, and so this takes things like petty cash, gets them out of the uh, works there because it's not going to have much of a financial risk, it's not going to have a compliance risk, you know, and, and kind of like what he was saying, if it's a couple of million dollars potential, that's probably going to be low. If it's five to ten, it's probably going to be medium. If it's over ten, then it's probably going to be high. And so an example of that is you, you look at Prime, you look at Meaningful Use, you look at some of these programs out there that if we screw up our documentation, we don't have things to support the milestones, we're going to potentially lose all of the funding. Those would be high-ranking areas. It's going to have a high uh, compliance risk. It's going to have a high financial risk. I should be looking at that. <coughs> okay. Rick, there, there's a whole lot that have high risk. How do you prioritize? So the ones that are high risk are the ones that are solid right. dots. Right. Uh, I'm trying to make sure I have something to cover every one of those. And then if I have uh, additional capacity, then I'm looking at some of the medium ranked ones. And really it's going to be based on is that solid dot really solid or is it pretty much solid? So if I have three solid dots and it averages that to a solid dot, that's high. <laughs> if it's two solid dots and one half dot, that's going to be a little less. So I'm, I'm looking at this. I, this is just a picture to kind of put things in perspective, but I'm evaluating each one of those areas that I think are the high-risk things, and then identifying a project. 
And Enric, I really like the layout that you've used this yes, time. It's sure. just so much clearer and better. And then, so the ones that you really have for just the likelihood of problems and you've uh, highlighted. So right now what you're saying to us is that with the capacity that you have in your department, these are the ones that will be top of your list, right? Do, they do should be covered somewhat in my audit plan, which is a page or two down the Correct. road. Correct, yes. Uh, so if it's got a highlighted, if it's highlighted in yellow, the area, that means I've done a review of that area recently. Oh. And so it could be high rated, but because I just did something, I'm passing on it this year, potentially, because I want to give them a chance to do the corrective action before I go in and look at it again. Now, if it's a real critical area, like if it's billing, uh, that's always going to be high ranking. And so I should be doing something in billing every year. Uh, I should be looking for fraud and abuse. I should be looking for uh, charge capture. I should be looking for uh, inappropriate charging, you know, anything to identify uh, potential billing issues and get those correct. Should you highlight um, what you're currently auditing in this as well with a different color? Uh, I could. That that would probably be helpful and yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so with all that being said, if we go to page twenty nine, that would be my internal audit and compliance project schedule, mm -hmm. and it's a little different this year than it was last year because instead of giving a plan for internal audit and giving another plan for compliance and going back and forth, I've put them all in one plan. So we will kind of, I'm attempting to streamline the package a little bit. I can explain where I am from an internal audit and compliance standpoint instead of doing two reports. So one of the things, the, the top item on here, uh, compliance risk assessment, that was one of the high points in the compliance assessment that was done earlier this year by an external firm. Uh, they don't think that from a compliance standpoint I do a, a robust enough uh, risk assessment. And this is more like uh, enterprise risk management where you're looking at all the factors that could potentially uh, impact the organization, get management more involved in sitting down and saying what keeps you up at night. You know. Tell me about your operation and, and all the things that, that you worry about and, and then rank those. Uh, and so I would need to do that from a compliance standpoint and incorporate a lot of that into my audit plan. So if I could just add there, because I was one of the folks who spoke to the external compliance risk assessment folks, and they said that compared to the fact that we are they, this is such a small team, it's really mighty. And having done a lot that you are able to do, it's true that our, where we need to be is, is not where we are, but given it's only that it's the second year of having a comprehensive plan, it's still pretty, pretty good. Mm -hmm. And so there, that, that compliance report is the risk assessment report. 
Um, it's just, it's there in our packet to be read later on, but I can pull out and distill things. I just really feel that that's something that the whole board, maybe if once you all have come up with your plan, like you do that, it should be presented to the whole board rather than just the committee. So either, I don't know how soon you can <coughs> be able to make your recommendations is July too early or September, maybe September audit meeting, we see that. We see the compliance, uh, you know, and then we uh, it, it present it as a. It's absolutely essential that the entire board gets a really good, detailed, not a 12-minute <coughs> thing. So one of the education sessions could be that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the projects that I've out outlined for this year, uh, accounts payable. Uh, just because I I want to make sure we're complying with contract terms and. Mm -hmm you know, verifying expenses and stuff. Uh, Ingenious Med, which would be the billing system. Now uh, this is primarily uh, professional billing, but I wanna make sure that since we're using this system and moving it to Sorian Financials that everything is, is moving properly and that we don't have any uh, capture issues there. Uh, the observation status, which is we're working on right now, uh, trying to make sure that we do the compliance activities, we do the billing appropriately. Uh, registration process, because that seems to impact a lot of the billing on a, a professional as well as facility side. Uh, and then some of these, uh, uh, well. Uh, Rick, excuse me, I forget what meaningful use is. What, what does meaningful use, just briefly, what? Uh, that, that would be the electronic health records. Yeah, okay, thank you. Uh, Looking at physician compensation to make sure we're doing fair market value. Uh, the 340B ambulatory, every 340B audit I've done has had huge paybacks. And it just seems like it's so complex that while we work hard to do it right, there's always mm -hmm. problems. Uh, I think the last meeting I identified nine uh, different drugs out of <coughs> thousand some odd and those nine equated to 1.3 million dollars cash collected I remember. because because they were not set up properly yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it, there's always something there yeah. but Rick are, is there anything that um, it is a compliance on the part of a, a trustee a board that uh, is regulated that needs to you need to monitor to make certain that we have in fact done our due diligence is there anything like that I mean I know we we approve the credentialing for example I mean that's a part of you did one with the exclusion uh, list right was that was that one of your audits one year? Uh, so I do exclusion checking right. every year okay. uh, to make sure we're in compliance with uh, OIG uh, guidelines. Would uh, the governance be part of that, Mike? The <coughs> fact that there has to be a bigger oversight of the board in the compliance Yes, so, the, so there are a couple of statutory responsibilities that the board has. Um, and so it would be a matter of auditing or compliance and ensure that those are actually happening. Um, and uh, sometimes it's more of a qualitative review in terms of you know, is the board actually paying attention to this particular issue or not paying to it? So 
I, I think rarely would a board compliance audit show up on this list because it's much smaller in scope and it's more focused on things. Which I are just right wanted to open. make certain at some point that if there if there were things that this board needed to be doing that the president was so not doing. That that's why I harangue you each month. There, no, there is are that the reason? This to the I agenda. thought just because you, or, you like yeah. me so much. <laughs> well, that, you, know, it's, you can kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. So, um, so actually in the compliance assessment mm -hmm. by CRG, there are some uh, compliance items that relate to uh, the Audit and Compliance Committee and the board uh, for oversight of a compliance program. Yeah. And so we'll be working through those, those items, and part of that would be uh, incorporating some uh, procedural things into the charter so that they are memorialized and that we put those on the agenda periodically. Uh, to, to make sure that you fulfill your responsibilities. Yeah, right. Part of that is that the internal auditor really needs to have a law, and, and, and we are sure that Rick does have, does have to have a lot of autonomy and, uh, you know, maybe a, some distance from the management right, and closer right. relationship with the board audit committee that you really are so that he could be one of that that is that as we be possibly be, uh, you know, I didn't even know that you weren't part of the executive leadership team and uh, as the internal auditor, I just think that that should be par for the course, like why not? So that's something one should think about, like in the, in the bigger decision. So th you guys are working that through. Come to us with a plan in September is when we are going to discuss. But those are things that, you know, that gives him more um, you know, sense of what's happening in the organization, and it gives us that peace of mind that 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 that's he's doing what he's supposed to mm -hmm. be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so we had some other uh, compliance reviews for non-monetary compensation, mm -hmm. the medical directorships, uh, just to make sure we're paying those out correctly and. Uh, Professional fee, E&M coding, which is an ongoing program mm -hmm. to make sure we're billing and coding properly. Drug wastage. So that was... What are you looking at at non-monetary compensation? Uh, so Car allowances for executives? What? Uh, no, this would be for providers. Uh, so there's uh, stark laws that prohibit uh, non-monetary compensation. It's about $398 a year currently. So uh, dinners, uh, <coughs> gifts to uh, physicians, which would be uh, in, ex in addition to their normal salaries, which we're going to be looking at under the fair market value. Okay. Uh, we just have to make sure that we're not doing any of that stuff. Yeah. And, and I think actually, you know, <coughs> even more than that, the less obvious instances where there are interactions, transactions between the organization and a provider that actually result in non-monetary compensation that you might not otherwise think of. You know, you know, Rick pointed out dinners and that sort of thing. Rather obvious, <coughs> but, you know, there are requests, you know, all the time for this, that, or the other, you know, for the medical staff or whatever, and sometimes it's, you know, it takes a fair degree of discipline to understand, well, this is actually non-monetary compensation, so we can't do it. So, so for example, you know, the discussion you've had in QPSC uh, over the last couple of months about um, provider well-being, 
in how who's going to pay for that. Well, the organization can't pay for that for other than its employees because that's non-monetary compensation being provided to the medical staff. And so it's those things that, you know, are part that fall into that bucket. Quite frankly, the, the, the dinner and that sort of thing is an easy thing to deal with. It's this other stuff which, you know, tends to be more of a challenge from time to time. Okay. In your process, Rick, how do you report um, your findings or the things that you've uncovered, et cetera, to the management team? How does that work? So uh, similar to the uh, audit by Moss Adams, I'm going to do my field work. I do testing. I, I review documentation. And once I think I've found something, then I communicate that to management and uh, kind of get their feelings. Is that real or do I just not understand it? Uh, based on those discussions, then I'll write up a report, identify my findings, which is what we'll see in just a minute uh, is a couple of the reports that I've written, and uh, ask that management responds to my findings, uh, develops their uh, plan of corrective action, and then I will issue that to uh, Del Vecchio and whoever the uh, executive is is responsible for that program and uh, then report it to this committee. So I'm working through the process to make sure that first I'm right, then working it through with up the line of management and then here. Okay. I think I was asking to try to get you guys off the hook so you don't have to come to audit meetings. And so it seems oh, no, to no, me no. that. Thank you, but we, we have to. So <laughs> you like have it. to? Uh, well, <laughs> we do, and, and, and from an executive perspective, well, I, I think, uh, as a matter of course, a lot of these things do um, uh, either fall squarely in or cross over with um, uh, IT and finance just because they're such pervasive parts of the organization. But uh, one thing that um, uh, will occur and, and, and happen, uh, um, particularly in instances where there's an ongoing uh, matter, is that the executive who is responsible for an area where there are audit findings and there's corrective actions will, um, to the extent that I am not satisfied that we are, we are I mean, Rick will be reporting out where we are and if there's going to be some questions and I want to to answer those questions. Where's Luis tonight? His son graduated from high school today. Oh. I have a picture if you'd like to see. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's where it is. Okay, any other questions about the plan? Good. Okay, so we'll talk about the system and badge access audit report. Uh, that was at the request of the committee. I had done that audit a few years ago, and uh, I was asked to do it again to make sure that we were uh, doing a better job. And what I found in that audit, uh, I was really looking to make sure that uh, as people left the organization, we turned off their access to the system, turned off their access to the building, uh, and we did that on a timely basis so they couldn't come back. Uh, and while we did a good job on employees, what I found was that these people that are non-employees that were given access for whatever reason uh, were not getting terminated timely because management responsible for those people were not notifying IT that they had left. 
Uh, and this was a problem in the last audit, and we put out some communications, but it has continued uh, to the current time, and we need to do some additional training there because uh, if you bring in a contractor, you ask IT to give them access, it's granted. When they leave, you have to tell them they left. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've kind of set up some processes to make sure that after a certain amount of time, if, if your uh, ID is, is inactive, they, they cut you off and you'll have to ask for it back if you're really still here. But that's kind of a, a reactive control. We, we need to do something more. So, so our, so our proposal that we're we're working on is to um, ask for a start and end date for a consultant. Mm -hmm. So, when the the access will automatically be terminated when you say if it's a six month engagement, according to the contract, it'll be a six month issue of that ID. At the end of that time, we'll check to see if the if you're renewing with that engagement. If you're not, then we will terminate that access. That's so it, it doesn't yeah. wait for the 13 months that the current process does. Mm -hmm. And same with the graduate students and the other things as well. So when you uh, say something is complete, as in this, or a, an issue like this, is it complete when a plan is made and then based on your bandwidth you'll go and monitor it later, or is it complete when you feel that it's been implemented? So in this particular case, what I would expect to see is some ongoing action. You clean up the mess that's there right now, mm -hmm. but you put something in place to be checking it going forward. Otherwise, six months from now, we have exactly the same problem. Right, right. But her question is, what does complete mean? When you say this, mm -hmm. this task Com is complete. So complete would mean that we cleaned up the mess and we did something that should prevent it from happening again and then I should go in and, and check that periodically to make sure <coughs> it's, it's still clean. So I have, um, some of the, the uh, findings when, when, when Rick and his team do these uh, don't necessarily lend themselves to sort of an ongoing monitoring. It really is a kind of lights on or lights off type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, did or didn't do it, uh, but there are others that because they become a new process, they warrant um, uh, checking uh, to make sure that that process has been hardwired and there's relative, uh, a, a relatively high degree of reliability we can place on. We have actually solved the problem. So, so um, uh, in a couple of cases, his uh, recommendations uh, to management, um, I didn't think actually included that, and and I'm trying to take the onus. Uh, I don't think the owner should live squarely on the auditor to make sure that those things are happening because they're now, you know, operation activities. And so, so I'm now pushing it back on, in this case, David, but also in other cases, other leaders to say, okay. have you put in place a plan to check this on a periodic basis to you're comfortable that it, it is hard work? Okay. That's great. In terms of a format to show us, though, it would be good to, I mean, I understand in progress and complete, but complete with your caveat is is like good for now, but needs monitoring. Um, there might be a, something that you want to look so that this group can say, you know, when's the last time you monitored X, Y, or Z? You know, that kind of thing. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. So this particular report. 
will go on my follow-up list. And so these findings will be laid out there and with I, the I dates that they were due. And then there will be comments by me whether it's complete or it's still ongoing. Okay. So, so is it on your systems access audit sheet? It, it will go. It's not on there yet. After this meeting, it will go on there to be tracked until I feel comfortable that it's been resolved. Okay. And that's because the, the deadline for completing the uh, actions was yesterday, actually. So they just okay. confirmed that they, they I say. I, I just thought that this, that system access was the complete. So that that was the, the old batch. report. Okay. And there's still the one outstanding issue, which is the identity management system that is being worked on. Okay. Why under penetration testing do all the categories say TBD and it said it was completed in October of 2016? So we haven't got there yet, but I'll, I'll answer that. How could it have been completed in 2016? Uh, the audit was done, the penetration testing was done in October of 2016. And most of the findings, I think 18 of the 20 findings, relate to one system that the only way to resolve those issues is to replace that system. And that has to go to the IT Prioritization Committee. And yeah, so we're, that's the, the RefTrack system. That's how we get referrals from CHCN and our internal clinics as well. That's the system. And it is uh, essentially an unsupported system that we're running on old hardware. Right. It's running on Windows XP, which is the problem. Uh, and so that's that's the system to be replaced. We're working with Rubicon MD, who's our current uh, e-consult vendor that we're working with. And so that's the process we're working through. So the TBD is when do we finalize that contract with them, work that, work that project to when it goes live. Are there huge risks of exposure in the interim? Um, there are risks, but we do isolate it from our network. Okay. So it, it has risk, but it is we mitigate that risk as much as we can, given it is what it is. And, and they are the known risks that were identified in the pen test. We, right. We know it. Thank you. Okay. Was there any other questions about the IT access report? No. Okay. The NPI report, uh, which starts on page 36, uh, since we had had some issues with our NPI numbers, and uh, I decided it would be a good idea to go out and look at uh, how we're managing those, and are we in compliance with any regulations on that. And what I found was there wasn't a whole lot of regulations, but we had over 70 NPI numbers in existence, and we were only using 30 of them. So it's like, well, okay, that causes some risk having those sitting out there with, that are not being used. Uh, we have our system set up to process certain uh, encountered uh, items under certain NPIs. Uh, we don't want to get confused. We don't want to have things uh, rejected. So I have asked uh, patient uh, accounting to go in, validate those or What's not. What's an NPI? A national provider indicator. It's identifier. It, identifier. It's, it's a number that is used by uh, payers to identify us as a, a specific entity. And so we have one of them? Or one for every system? or we have, we have lots of them. We have uh, uh, some for Medicare, some for Medi-Cal, some for commercial. Uh, Individual and, providers, it, 
So there's a facility is. number and then there's a provider. There are two NPIs, right? So every provider so has well their you, own NPI. You can, yes, facility and, pro and professional, and you can have Alameda Hospital with a facility and a professional for Medi-Cal, Medicare, okay. uh, commercial, uh, same thing with uh, AHS. So you're minimizing the errors by taking out the, the NPIs that no one uses. Right. Got it. And so we're going through that process now, of making sure that we inactivate all of those that we're not using anymore. So once you do that and you deactivate like all these subparts, they have these different NPI numbers, you merge them, you do. Then the training that happens, happens through like HR departments, like who does to make sure that those, you know, that uh, is there, that there's a billing person who has to code those things and knows now that hey these have been merged so so what we do is There's we validate that we have the right ones associated with the right uh, programs mm -hmm. and uh, through the system through Sorian financials or uh, Meditech we have those numbers embedded so that it's going to always charge appropriately okay uh, it's we try to keep the human uh, element out of it so we don't have to put in numbers. We okay. just pick a program. You you pick Medicare, you pick Medi-Cal. And it comes up so there's no manual yes. remembering of these things. Okay, wonderful. That's good. Okay. So I'm, I'm working through those things now to make sure we get it cleaned up. And that was supposed to be done by today, but uh, we have some issues. and. I'll be meeting next week with patient accounting to, to get those worked out. Okay, okay. so every, oh, we need uh, approval of the plan, tab four. Oh yeah, let's uh, approve move our, approval. I'll second. I guess all in favor that we have three no abstentions, right? Correct. So, good, so FY18 plan approved. Okay, so tab five is all of the written reports, including the compliance assessment. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was going to cover that by exception if you have questions about specific reports in there. Uh, I think the most important one, again, was the compliance assessment, which is 50 pages long. It's kind of lengthy. Uh, by the next meeting, I should have uh, responses to all of the I think 36 recommendations in there. And a lot of them are the same response. We're going to be looking at a three to five year strategic plan. Uh, we're gonna be working on the Audit and Compliance Committee Charter to incorporate some new elements. Uh, we're going to be working on the risk assessment and that will take care of uh, a huge chunk of those recommendations. But uh, we, will, we will be talking about that. <coughs> Hopefully September. What were the four items remaining on the Toyan report? Which ones? Yeah. Uh, there were some ones that were scheduled for later this year. Yeah, July, I think you said. Mm -hmm. More robust billing, physician, and reporting function, increased percentage in acute patient days. Departments oh, need to you. be held accountable for chargely charging timely and accurately for services provided, 
and system edits should be in place to flag these types of accounts issues on reports should be developed to track and monitor these types of situations. So part of those, uh, I think at least two of those items were the Sorian Financial Rebuild, uh, which was scheduled for uh, implementation in July. It's now delayed to September 1st. <clears throat> Why? There was a, um, a contractor <clears throat> to essentially made a mistake when he's rebuilding the service master. So we've had to redo that one. Did we pay him? Uh, probably. Uh, <laughs> but we beat him frequently. <laughs> <laughs> I remember at one time, this is a little off track, that um, you said if there was one thing you could do to bring in more revenue it was to hire four temps to go over and do probably physician cash. billing. Have we done that? Uh, no, we're trying to identify space. We have space issues. Put them in a tent. I mean, with with a PC. <laughs> there are a series of dominoes that are about to, have, about to happen. And, uh, um, Rick well. is relocating to SSC. That'll open up an office. We're hoping we can get some people in there. But we, we have space issues. I do think we the, shouldn't lose sight of the fact that that the huge number of recommendations that we came up with, what, three years ago now? Yeah. Have three years, yeah. Yeah, have to. moved down to the remaining four. I mean, this not even actually, just a little over two years. Just a little over two years because those April, were, yeah. and they weren't two just years. itty bitty things. Right. They were, they were significant. Um, and I don't know if you've ever made a report to the supervisors we regarding the completion of the Torian report, or, or even something like this from our auditor. Would be would be nice to have so that we can get. Yeah, the last status check we, or, or update we did was probably about. Yeah, you've done that because uh, didn't did Supervisor Carson even no. mention it at that meeting? He said that toy on all of those, and now okay. you're down to just a few. I think okay, he even said you. that during the joint meeting. So, so I will be continuing to monitor those and try to get those last four off of the list. Uh, like I said, two of them are associated with the rebuild, which in the next couple of months should be done. Uh, one of them on the, the charge capture uh, for Profi. Those, uh, there's actions in place, uh, and it's more of going in and making sure that they have a reconciliation process within each area to uh, identify when charges should be captured and make sure that they get them in place, uh, which which should. Uh, significantly increase revenue um, and the other one uh, statistics I think was the other one. It's like okay it's thank you not thank a you Rick. significant one okay mm -hmm. so were there questions about any of the other written reports um, the uh, the compliant risk report again I just wanted to uh, mention what uh, one of the things that the um, that the Mike Mark, Mark, uh, that I sp spoke to, he said that what what like uh, really stood out for them was that the board and the executive leadership team really like owns and is engaged with the whole compliance issue, but it hasn't trickled down to the line staff kind of thing. So sometimes he was thinking that, and as you 
work on, on your report that you'll bring to us in September is that not necessarily adding an FTE or a body, but having people in certain departments be the face of compliance, like so that it's something that, you know, that folks really understand, like why is this important, patient safety, you know, uh, risk, reducing our risk, infection control, whatever it is that we are doing, just having like identifying people at different people other, on the teams, uh, on the teams who will be the face of compliance. I hope you're thinking about that and when we That's see that idea. in the September yeah. report, idea. we just have that, you know, be a big part, like EHR, all of these big uh, changes happening population. Change is a good time to make some tweaks to people's, you know, roles in the organization, so think about that. But thank you, these written reports are great, Rick. I don't have any other questions, do you? I don't either. Okay. I think. And we didn't have anything on the tracking sheet. And our next meeting is September 7th. September 7th is the next meeting. And we will. I will work with you and Mike to see if we can put that on the full board agenda, the compliance. Um, you know, education part or, or some part of it, the risk assessment. Oh, the external the, audit, you mean? Uh, yeah, hey. no, the, uh, yuck. Oh. Oh. That's, that's Aaron, <laughs> Minnie Louise. It looks like it, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Oh like <laughs> so, terrific. All oh, right. it's got one so. of the honor things hanging down, I think. Is, is that it an looks honor like cord? Stole, uh, cord yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know. I was always on the dean's list, his other one. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, the other list. So I guess that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. On that happy note, <laughs> we will adjourn our meeting. Thank, Thank you. My oh, yeah. friend, we had, we actually sat on the front row, uh, and we yeah, had the system exactly. that yeah. we had this thing all planned simultaneously would do this. <laughs> we cross our legs. It, just, it, was, it was so wonderful. All in unison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, in those days, you 